0: One day in 1861, amateur photographer William Mumler sat down to take a self-portrait in his Boston studio. Mumler later claimed that when he went to develop the image, he found quite the surprise.
1: Because he discovered that though he had been alone in the room where the picture was taken, he was not alone in the photograph. Standing next to him uh, was a picture of a ghost.
0: This is writer Peter Manso. He says that Mumler had miraculously captured a hazy image of a young woman hovering above his shoulders.
1: He first thought it was something of a joke, and he showed it to people saying, look at this strange mistake I have made. But then he became convinced that he had in fact captured the image of a lingering spirit in his photo studio.
0: The photographer believed that the phantasmic figure was a cousin who had died 12 years earlier. The picture and the story it told soon found a ready audience. In the Civil War era, spiritualism, a belief that the living could communicate with the dead, was sweeping the nation. And spiritualists were hungry for evidence of their beliefs.
1: They thought that this new technology of photography was leading to a new revelation, a new moment in the interaction between the world of the living and the world of the dead. Mumler and his
0: wife Hannah saw a lucrative opportunity and began selling spirit photographs. Their most famous customer was Mary Todd Lincoln who emerged from their studio with a portrait of her murdered husband protectively resting his hands on her shoulders.
1: So you could visit the Mumler studio the same way you would visit any portrait studio at the time. You would sit in a well-appointed room, and when you had your photograph given to you, you might see, if you were lucky, the image of a deceased loved one lingering behind you, a ghost floating in the air very often. So, the Mumlers became the toast of spiritualist Boston, and for a time, they were selling people the solace that they needed, this connection to
0: loved ones who were gone. I don't want to badmouth another New England industry, but was this a little like whale watching? Where, <laughs> you know, you kind of pay your money, you go out to see the whales, and... You know, sometimes they show up and sometimes they don't. I mean, could people be asked to come back again and again and again in the hope that the spirit would show up?
1: It was precisely like whale watching in the sense that Mumler would never guarantee the ghosts would appear in the photographs. He would say that he had no control over the spirit world. He did not know why some spirits chose to appear his camera before his camera and some did not. He could not determine in advance which spirits would arrive to be in your photograph. And so certainly people who were dissatisfied but still believed in the possibility mm-hmm. of spirit photography, they would come back. Uh, But very often, people did receive what they wanted to. Uh, They received images of their late spouses or very often of their children who had died too young. So Mumler, again, was was filling this real need and he was giving those who believed in him exactly what they paid for.
0: Do you have any specific cases of believers and can you give us a sense of what they thought they had found?
1: The Mumler story unfolds during the Civil War and many of the people uh, who visited Mumler were haunted uh, by their own particular feelings of personal loss, but often by their role that they played within the war. Mm -hmm. So, in Boston, there was a man named Alvin Adams. He was the founder of a company called Adams Express. And he began as just a courier service, but he soon became the leading shipper of bodies uh, in both the north and the south, shipping the casualties of war. They would would be shipped in special Adams express caskets. And Adams felt the the weight of all these young men whose deaths he was profiting from. And when he visited Mumler, he wanted to be relieved of that feeling of guilt. And he was given a spirit photograph showing a young man Uh, who he believed to be one of these casualties. And in receiving this image, he did seem to receive some kind of relief.
0: I gather that most of the people who went to the mummers were satisfied customers, or at least believing customers.
1: Initially, they were believers in spiritualism, but they were also skeptics who wanted to see if it was what people were claiming it would be. And soon the skeptics began to outcrowd the believers in the Mumler studio. So many people came hoping to be the ones to reveal the fraud uh, that Mumler felt endlessly investigated by by these uh, photographers who thought that this was someone abusing their pure art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also became popular among spiritualists. Uh, the spiritualists in Boston actually believed that spirit photography was possible, but something about the Mumlers eventually just didn't smell right. And they decided that though spirit photography m- may be possible in the future, this fellow William, William Mumler was not in fact doing it. He and why was, did he they,
0: was, what were they smelling?
1: Well, as it happens in Boston, it began to become known that there there were many ghosts depicted in William Mumler's photographs who were in fact alive and well and walking the streets of Boston. <laughs> <laughs> so when you began to recognize rumors the ghosts... of their
0: death were premature. <laughs>
1: Exactly right. And you would find that you would find uh, the same faces of spirits on multiple people's spirit photographs, uh, people of no relation, and they would be looking at the same supposedly dead aunt. And when it began to be known that there were living people being used as ghosts in Mumler's images, that did put an end to one part of their career in Boston. Uh, They had fewer people coming to sit in their studio, but they at that point expanded such that they offered ghost photographs by mail. Uh, You could send them an image of yourself and a lost loved one, and they would use their mediumistic powers to recreate an image uh, of both the living and the dead and send it back to you.
0: Did the mummers ever get in trouble for this?
1: The Mumlers eventually needed to pick up stakes in Boston, and they needed to find a new field in which to sell their wares. So they moved down to New York City in uh, 1868, and Mumler set up shop again, uh, set up a shop on Broadway, where there were more than two hundred portrait photographers working at the time. So, in some ways, he fit right in, but he was the only one offering spirit photographs. So, he immediately made a name for himself in New York City, Uh, but that unfortunately also drew the attention of the law. Uh, So, the mayor of the city at the time, A. Oakley Hall, made it a personal mission of his to crack down on small-time swindlers. And he saw (laughs) Mumler as... He must have been
0: a busy man.
1: (laughs) He was at the time, and he had a... um, He had the... The city marshal, his, his personal investigator, a man named Marshall Tooker, he put Took her on the case investigating Mumler, uh, the, the marshal of the city of New York goes to Mumler's studio in disguise, using a fake name, and demands to have spirit photographs taken. When he is given the photographs, he decides that now he he has caught Mumler red-handed. He arrests Mumler and sends him to the wonderfully named city court of New York uh, called the Tombs at the time. Oh yeah, I know and, the Tombs. <laughs> and Mumler is um, made to face trial uh, in New York City, and it becomes the the trial of the century at the time because not only was one petty swindler being put on trial but all of spiritualism this idea that you could communicate with the dead that you could see the dead to, to really settle this
0: matter once and for all. And what was the evidence?
1: Well the evidence as far as the prosecution was concerned was that it was it was apparent that uh, that every photograph Mumler took was evidence against him because this simply was not possible. Their star witness ended up being P.T. Barnum. Uh, they Uh-oh. decided to bring in Barnum because they thought here is the world's preeminent expert on humbug, and, and <laughs> well, we'll, we'll bring we'll bring in Barnum to show uh, that Mumler is just one example of humbug. And in fact, Barnum had. Uh, in his American Museum in New York in New York City, he, for several years, had shown Mumler images in his gallery of humbug, the great humbugs of the world. He considered spirit <laughs> photography to be one of them. So, Barnum uh, testified against uh, William Mumler to great fanfare. The newspapers, of course, loved it at the time because the the trial had already been a circus, and then here, here comes the ringmaster to, to make it official. But Mumler's defense attorneys response to this was, well, prove it. Prove that it is not possible for, t- for photography sure. to do this. We have seen throughout the 19th century, they would claim, uh, all the many marvels of technology. People scoffed at the telegraph. People scoffed at electricity. And now look at what these things are able to do. Who is to say, Mumler's attorneys argued, that photography, this marvel of technology, could not see the dead could not have sight beyond human sight. And it ended up being a very persuasive argument. Well, how did things end? <laughs> the prosecution uh, mounted a, a strong, def- a strong uh, case against William Mumler, uh, but ultimately the judge had to admit that there was not the evidence to show how William Mumler had done this. The prosecution brought in a parade of expert photographers who said, if I was to create spirit photographs... This is the way I would do it. And they would give a number of theories, a number of techniques they would use. But then each one of them had to admit, I did not see Mumler do any of these things. And so, we cannot know. We cannot know how these spirits appeared in his
0: photographs. Uh, so, Mumler was acquitted.
1: Mumler was acquitted. And he uh, soon left New York and went back to Boston, where he continued to take spirit photographs uh, off and on for the rest of his life. Okay.
0: So all our listeners now want to know, because we have you, Peter, not P.T. Barnum, how do he do it? It remains something of a mystery. Uh, there
1: are certainly experts in photography, uh, experts in, in um, 19th century photographic techniques who can show how they would do- would have done it, just as those experts in, at, who testified at the trial can show. Suggested how they would do it. But no one knows precisely how Mumler did it, in fact. He was able to, through some some kind of sleight of hand, he was able to perform some kind of double exposure on his glass plates uh, without being detected in in doing so. So, he uh, certainly was... um, Perhaps not spiritually gifted, but technically adept with his with the photographic arts. Enough so that he was able to fool uh, the experts of the day and to create this ongoing mystery.
0: What does this tell us about this particular moment in the history of photography?
1: Well, when I began writing Mumler's story, it, it seemed just this quaint moment in, in 19th century history. But the more I began to investigate the story, uh, the more it seemed to have some resonance with the world we are in now. Um, this world in which radical changes in technology um, produce these challenges to human perception such that we are unable to know if we are looking at fact or fiction. Uh, what was happening at this moment of the intersection of the technology of photography and spiritualism f- seems to have some resonance to me with where we are now in, this, in our digital age, where we are encountering constantly uh, upgraded and uh, remade technologies. And we, too, are unable to look at an image and really know what we're looking at. And to me, this reminds me that it's not simply the case that those who believed in William Mumler were more gullible, or they were less savvy uh, interrogators of images than we are. In fact, they were precisely the same moment we are in, where technology promises so much, and yet the questions that we have about human existence, about what comes next, they remain. And we inevitably use those new technologies to ask those questions and to find new answers.
0: Peter Manso is the author of The Apparitionist, a tale of phantoms, fraud, photography, and the man who captured Lincoln's ghost.